Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. He is just an obsessive goal scorer. But they have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu brings it back. I haven't got a problem with soccer to be fair. All right, everybody, welcome to House of Champions YouTube friends. Drop in your comments and questions in the chat to make sure you smash the like and subscribe buttons as we talk World Cup Qatar. 2022 and we check in with our man there he is Fabrizio Romano here we go with us today we've got Jonathan Johnson and Nigel Rio Coco but first we got to welcome Fabrizio Romano World Cup edition House of Champions Fabrizio how you doing buddy all great all great my friend I'm suffering because honestly not having Italy at this fantastic World Cup is something terrible to me but that's life. We will be back, and I'm appreciating really this. The level, the level is very good, I think, and so so happy, happy to be here. All right. So you selected Spain to be your uh, winners of this World Cup. They started off pretty well, but is there any other team that has caught your attention that could be a threat to Spain potentially winning? Brazil and Spain. Brazil and Spain. These are the two the two teams I mentioned. And tonight was incredible show by by Brazil. Uh, I'm not surprised, honestly. I think their roster is is fantastic and so it's normal to see Brazil at this level. I stick with my Spain prediction because I really like the group, I really like the energy, I really like the manager. Luis Enrique, in my personal opinion, is a great manager and what they are creating with young players, with talented players, is something special. But yes, Brazil, uh, we have to say congrats and of course England, there are many, many good candidates to the to the title but I go with my Spain. <laughs> Nigel, how are you doing buddy? Can I hear you? Go click that microphone on, you know, the button that says unmute. I'm good, thank you. Uh, good bunch of games today. I think I had a bit of a World Cup nostalgia with one of the games that I saw earlier today, but enjoying it. JJ, yourself, everything good with you? World Cup today was, was pretty special. Yeah, it's been a bit of a busy day over here in Europe, obviously, with you guys uh, celebrating Thanksgiving stateside. So uh, we've been giving thanks in our own way for uh, this uh, this feast of football. Always good to see Fab as well. Welcome back, my friend. Congratulations on your recent award as well. Thank and you. uh, yeah, just looking forward to, uh, to picking through everything with you guys. 
Yeah, big congratulations to Fabrizio winning Best Journalist Award. Thank we you, appreciate you. you. We give thanks to you on Thanksgiving Day as well. Let's get into it, Fabrizio. While we've got you, let's talk Cristiano Ronaldo because we saw him in action today for Portugal. Portugal also got the victory. Cristiano Ronaldo was on the score sheet once again. But a lot has happened since me and you last spoke about Cristiano Ronaldo. What is happening with the situation? Let's begin with the mutual termination. What happened? What did you hear? How it all played out? No, it was a really complicated situation, really complicated, but also was very clear that the only way was to terminate that contract. There was no other way also because right after the first release of the interview, Eric Ten Hag, Manchester United board, they were together uh, in the decision. Uh, it was very clear and communicated to Cristiano Ronaldo, to his agents. They didn't want Cristiano to return at Carrington. They wanted him to be 100% out of the project. And also Cristiano was prepared to, to terminate the contract. So the intention was the same. But of course, at Manchester United, they were really disappointed with the interview, with some of, of the sentences of Cristiano Ronaldo that were really strong uh, on Manchester United project, on the manager, on respect for Eric Ten Hag. So many strong points, and this is why they decided to, to terminate the contract. It's important to say that there will be no payoff. Cristiano Ronaldo had around £17 million left on his contract with Manchester United till the end of the season and an option for potential uh, for the season. But, of course, he decided to accept Manchester United the season to terminate the contract. He will not receive one single penny from Manchester United. And so Man United were really strong on a legal point of view after the interview, obviously. And this is why they decided to go with that kind of, of decision. And now it's on, it's on Jorge Mendes because his agent is working to find the best solution. We know that the issue was already there in June, in July. So it's not new that Cristiano Ronaldo has to find a solution and also Man United have to find a new striker because this is the other part of the story but for Cristiano it's now time to explore the market to focus on the World Cup of course with Portugal but to explore the market and find the best solution I wanted to clarify three things we had many rumors in the last few days on Bayern on a secret meeting but Bayern sources are telling me that there was no meeting and they are still convinced that they want to complete the season with the current squad. Same for Real Madrid. So I know it's fascinating to mention Real Madrid and Cristiano Ronaldo, but at the moment Real Madrid insists that they are not going to sign any player in January. And Newcastle, rumors on Newcastle and Cristiano Ronaldo, the message from Newcastle is they want to continue with the current project, young players. And so let's see what Mendes will find, but at the moment no negotiations with these three clubs. Well, obviously, it's the best possible time as well to put yourself in the shop window with a World Cup. Are there any sort of feelings uh, that you're getting at the moment that we could see Ronaldo actually move away from Europe after this World Cup? I mean, he's won everything that there is to win, uh, you know, on the European continent already. You know, there is still time in his career, perhaps, uh, you know, for an experience in, in Major League Soccer, perhaps somewhere even further afield. Uh, is there anything that you're hearing that, that could be, you know, maybe a surprise destination for CR7? From what I'm told, he still wants to continue in Europe. So his priority is to continue the best level in European football. And this is why in the summer, as he confirmed, he turned down that Saudi proposal that was around £350 million pounds for a, for a long-term contract. So it was a really big proposal from Saudi, but he decided to say no because he wanted to stay in, uh, in European football. And this is still the priority. But never say never in that kind of situation, I would say. Uh, we know that January market is different. You don't have like three months to negotiate, three months to find the best solution is a shorter market and so I would not be surprised if this, uh, this approach on Cristiano's side would change but let's see at the moment his priority is still with uh, European clubs and I, and I feel that as you mentioned this World Cup is a big opportunity for him to shine again and uh, to, to show that he's ready to make an impact also for Champions League clubs because Cristiano wants to play Champions League he's desperate for Champions League football. 
couple of quick comments coming in here. Leticia says, very well-deserved trophy for you, Fabrizio. She also made a comment today's match between Portugal and Ghana. Um, is my response for the result. The game itself was very stressful. Last minutes for all of the Portuguese. I agree with you there. Uh, Matt Osman says, hey, Fab, is Ronaldo still determined to be a Champions League player? You just answered that one right there. And Rafa also saying congratulations on the award for you. A lot of congratulations, Thanks. Fabrizio, from all of our family. Let's talk about Manchester United being up for sale. What are you hearing about that? Because United going up for sale, looking for potential new ownership um, or people who can invest in the club. What are you hearing behind the scenes that could potentially see maybe a new owner coming in or maybe even a part new owner coming into the club? Yes, now obviously there are many rumours and there will be many rumours on, on groups, on uh, people interested in buying Manchester United and it's normal. It's Manchester United, it's Liverpool, really big clubs on the market and so it's normal to have these kind of stories. But what I'm told is that it's correct that there are already some groups in the process of approaching the Glazers family to buy Manchester United. So something is already happening, but we are obviously not yet at the stage of saying, OK, that group is going to buy Manchester United. So it will take some time. Uh, they want more than £5 billion for Manchester United. So it's going to be uh, a long negotiation, but the process is already ongoing. There are groups interested and I think it's going to be a big change for Manchester United, not just about the owners, but also about the board. They need to change something on the board, on board side because we know how complicated it was for Manchester United to change things in the last five, six years especially. So it was really difficult also to manage the transfer market, many difficult situations. And so now they have a big opportunity, not just for new owners, but also to rebuild the board, to rebuild the structure. And this, is, this will be the real mission for the new owners next summer. So I think 2023 is going to be a really important year for Manchester United. Mm-hmm. It feels like we're venturing into not necessarily uncharted territory, but it's certainly unfamiliar territory given that you've suddenly got a, quite a few big clubs available either for full purchase or you know at least for a, a minority stake you've got Manchester United but you've also got PSG you've also got Liverpool and you know is this this must be kind of a first for you in the last 10 years to have so many uh you know opportunities at big clubs for investors uh, at the same time pretty much and is there anything you're hearing perhaps about any crossover between uh you know parties interested in Manchester United PSG and Liverpool Yes, it's normal that there are groups exploring these possibilities. As you mentioned, this is particular to see at the same moment these three big clubs. Of course, with Paris Saint-Germain is, is different, but for Liverpool and Manchester United, that could be a really big moment uh, to, to, to sell the, the whole the World Club, and this is why there are groups that are exploring this possibility, but at the moment it's still not something advanced. So I'm sure that it will take some time, but it's also important to mention, as I, I mentioned the board, the Manchester United side, but for Liverpool today, we had a really big news with Julian Ward prepared to leave the club at the end of the season, and this is surprising because he was the man to replace Michael Edwards, who did an incredible job for Liverpool for many years, and now Julian Ward is prepared to leave football, to take a break, and this is another important one for Liverpool. It means that they're going to rebuild again the structure and the board and so it's not just about the ownerships but it's also about rebuilding the idea the identity the project of these clubs uh, of course they have Klopp and Eric Ten Hag who are two guarantees because Eric Ten Hag is the man for the project because Jurgen Klopp is the man for Liverpool project he extended the contract a few months ago but it's going to be a big change for Liverpool too not just on the owners but also on the board side hmm. unmute please Nigel that button the, the red one that says unmute <laughs> Fabrizio, it's making you, sense for once. Do you think that there's any kind of worry that the two, one of the two biggest clubs in the world, you look at Liverpool and Manchester United with American owners that are all of a sudden pulling back out of nowhere. Is that anything of any kind of worry or concern, do you feel? No, at the moment, I would say not. I would say not because uh, the feeling is that 
it's going to be something to also to protect these clubs. Uh, for Liverpool, it's different because they are in a very positive moment, not this season, of course, but in the last five, six years has been amazing for Liverpool, the work they did, the ownership, the manager, the board. But for Manchester United, it's a big opportunity to bring in something fresh. So I don't see them worried, honestly. Uh, also, into the club, they feel there is a big opportunity to, to rebuild, to have a clear identity, to understand that sometimes in scheduling things for a top club like Manchester United, you need to be perfect with the strategy. And this is something that didn't happen at Manchester United for a long time. And so no, I don't see them. I don't see them worried. But on both club side, uh, I think they know that this is a big opportunity. It's definitely with Chelsea because at the end, Todd Bowley is putting serious money in. He's rebuilding the board now. He invested on many players in the summer. I'm sure that in 2023 he will invest a lot of money on players, on young players especially. And so sometimes you have an opportunity in these kind of situations. Fabrizio, I want to talk to you about Liverpool Football Club because obviously news came out about uh, certain personnel leaving the football club. Ian Graham resigns, director of research and another major change at Liverpool. There was also news that uh, Julian Ward was stepping down from the sporting director department. I mean, what is going on at Anfield that so many people are, are potentially being pulled away from the club or are they walking away from Liverpool? Is there something going on behind the scenes that we don't recognise? No, I would say no. It's that something uh, I think is changing in football in general. It's difficult to find people prepared to stay in the industry on the same role for long-term projects. This is something that is happening in, in England, especially in, uh, in Premier League, but not just in Premier League, because it's also in Italy, for example, sometimes it's different in Spain, where we see the same people mm, taking care of the club for a long time. But in England, in Italy, sometimes also in Germany, this is changing. A uh, lot of things are changing. It's difficult to find the same people into the club, into the board, uh, working for the same club for maybe five, six, seven years on a long-term project. I think we have to understand that football is changing and it's not just the managers changing after two, three years, but also people into, into the board. It's surprising. Honestly, with Liverpool, is surprising because Julian Ward was the man uh, prepared to, to, to change the Liverpool project after the incredible era of, uh, of Michael Edwards. But now he's going to step down at the end of the season. Uh, it's a big change for Liverpool and I'm sure that they want to make sure that the next director is someone who is prepared to work on long-term project together with Jurgen Klopp, but definitely something is changing in football. Uh, taking us back to the to the World Cup now, Fab, are there any young players who you've got your eye on as being potential breakout stars at this World Cup or anyone who's caught your eye in particular in the first round of games that you maybe didn't expect to be talking about? Honestly, too many, I say it's too early now to mention players, but there are many talented talented players. For example, Ismail Conan, this boy from Montreal playing for Canada. I really like him and I'm told that some club in England is already keeping an eye on him. And so I'm curious to see what happens. But uh, I like this kind of underrated talents who can make uh, a big a big World Cup and have a big opportunity on the market. And then there are the, the stars of the future. I think the impact of Jude Bellingham also in the World Cup was great again, but we, we know very well how special is this player. But you know, the World Cup is not easy to confirm yourself. Of course, of course in the Bundesliga is doing fantastic, in Champions League is doing fantastic, but this World Cup for Jude Bellingham is going to be really important. And I'm sure that Borussia Dortmund will be happy because Borussia Dortmund decided not to discuss with any club before the World Cup. They didn't want to mention any price because they didn't want to negotiate for 100 millions, 120. They wanted to wait for the World Cup and then to make a price. And so I'm sure that now 100, 120 million euros is absolutely not enough to sign Jude Bellingham. There will be a crazy race in the summer and I think it's going to be his World Cup because it's really important for him to show again how special he is with many, many top clubs prepared to, to fight to sign him. 
I want to ask you about Christopher Nkunku. Obviously, unfortunate what happened to him at the World Cup. But before I get to there, it was a great question from JJ about breakout stars. Mohamed Kudus today impressed me immensely from Ghana. I thought he was absolutely terrific. I mean, he's obviously signed long-term for Ajax Amsterdam, but this is a youngster who's shining brightly in the Champions League. Um, will it be very difficult for Ajax Amsterdam to hold on to a kid like this? I mean, he's super talented. I think next summer there could be a move for him because last summer Everton wanted him. It was an advanced negotiation then the deal collapsed because Ajax already sold many players. It was a difficult summer for Ajax. They lost the manager Eric Ten Hag and many stars as we know, of course, uh, Anthony, Lisandro, Tagliafico, Nana, Gravenberg, Masraoui. So they completely changed the squad and this is why they decided to keep Kudus. But I think next summer or maybe January, let's see, but next summer could be the right moment for him to go to have an opportunity in Premier League. Uh, as I mentioned, Everton have always been interested in, in signing him, but I'm sure that other clubs in the Premier League will be interested in Kudus. He's a very good player. He had also uh, a very good game in Champions League uh, at Anfield, playing against Liverpool in a difficult Champions League campaign for Ajax. He was pretty good, and so I'm sure that he will have an opportunity very soon. All right, let's get on to Christopher Nkunku. Really unfortunate what happened to him days before the World Cup began, getting this serious injury. Um, we're hearing more and more about this Chelsea rumours. Um, regardless of that knee injury, it looks like the deal could be done with Chelsea. What more can you tell us? I can tell you that Christopher Nkunku will play for Chelsea, so I'm, I'm almost sure. Uh, the point is about signing the contracts, but the deal is ready. The deal is almost ready between Chelsea and Leipzig, between Nkunku and, uh, and Chelsea. The contract is ready. You already had a medical, as we mentioned here, in September. I think it was end of September when we say the medical was not for personal things, as, as one mentioned. It, it was a medical with Chelsea staff there to become a Chelsea player in summer 2023. So I'm pretty sure that Kuku will play for Chelsea. Now it's time to wait to sign the contract because we know how important it is in football to sign contracts and Chelsea know that very well after Kunde, Rafinha stories in the summer. But Kuku said yes to Chelsea and Chelsea have an agreement ready with Leipzig. So it's just a matter of time to sign the contracts and then the, we will know the, the truth. But Kuku will play for Chelsea. Hmm. Abrizzo, just a player that I've been very impressed with, that I've always been a fan of. I don't think we've really seen the full potential. We saw glimpses today, Juan Felix. What's the chances of him being able to leave Atletico Madrid? There are chances. There are chances. Uh, it's not an easy one because Atletico Madrid invested 120 millions on this boy. And so there is people into the board saying, we want to protect Joe Felix. We want him to be here at Atletico Madrid long term. But then the reality is that he's not playing. He's not in the starting 11 with, with uh, Diego Simeone. And we know the relationship with Simeone on a technical point of view is not easy, probably because Simeone was a different kind of player for his squad. But Joao Felix is not in the starting 11. And so this is why there is a chance for him to, live, to live in uh, 2023. I'm not sure that it's going to be January. Depends on the proposals. Uh, I say that it's not easy because it's not easy to find clubs prepared to pay more than 120 million in January. But there are clubs like Paris Saint-Germain, last summer Manchester United asked for him. Many clubs keeping an eye on Joao Felix. So I'm sure that he will be a big opportunity on the, on, the, on the market in 2023, but it also depends on Atletico because people into the board are still hoping to keep the player and to make him the star of Atletico for the future. Joe Felix, great. I know, my bad for Bito, sorry. I know I said one, I got into the whole Latin American vibe, you know, it's Joe Felix. <laughs> my, my apologies, Joe Felix. A couple of great comments coming in right now. Suarve Boz says, Juan Felix, who is Juan Felix right there? We also have another great one coming in saying, Nigel versus the mute button is an underrated story. That one also coming in from, 
That's what I'm posing right there. Fabrizio is a legend. There's a lot of love for you out there, Fabrizio. Let's turn our attention to how well you're doing with your predictions for this World Cup. Because, of course, behind the scenes with Houser Champions, we have been predicting results. We've tried to get the correct score. And uh, I hear a rumor, producer Des tells me this, that Fabrizio Romano is doing incredibly well with his predictions right now. Um, if we could, uh, Uncle Des, is the king put of it predictions, up there. I'm told, uh, not, not at this World Cup, but in Champions League, JJ has always been the king of predictions. So. Well, here's a good look at it. You're tied at the top. You are tied at the top with Michael LaHood. He's not on the show today for that reason because he'll probably be off the top by the time we get him back on the show. Um, I'm having an absolute shocker. Nigel apparently is going for so, some, things don't, oh, some things don't change oh, though, Ian. Don't compare me to you, Ian. It's one point. I'm just up there from third place. You're nowhere near there. <laughs> Fabrizio, tell me, tell me why you're being so successful because this is one of the most unpredictable World Cups, but apparently not for you. No, not true, not true, not true. It's just the first round. And let's see, we have to comment at the end, but I would say that I'm pretty happy because I was expecting some surprising, some surprising results, honestly. Some of them are, are not too surprising to me. Some of them, yes, honestly. I was not expecting, for example, Germany with Japan. I was not expecting that kind of results. But I think that the group stage is always about surprises. And so. Let's see. Let's see the next round. So I'm really curious, but uh, I'm happy to be there. I want to be there at the end, not now. <laughs> Got uh, one, one final question for you on the on the topic of surprises, Fab. Where do you rank that Saudi Arabia win over Argentina in terms of the World Cups that you've seen in your lifetime? Is that the biggest shock result you've ever seen at a World Cup? Huh. I think in the top three, for sure. I think in the top three was really surprising. You know, not too surprising just for one reason. I think that, for example, I'm following Serie A, I'm Italian, I live in Italy, and uh, I know that some players of Argentina, like Leandro Paredes, players you know very well, they were a Paris Saint-Germain, so Paredes, Di Maria, they were really poor in the first part of the season because they were waiting for the World Cup. And I think when you wait too much for something, at the beginning, you're going to have some problem. And this is the feeling I had with Paredes, with Di Maria, and also with some other player. So I think this is why Argentina had a slow start, but I'm sure that they have the quality to, to be back, to be back at top level. Now they will have a lot of pressure, but also the opportunity to, to be back at top level. And I'm sure that not just with Messi, but the group they have, the group who won the Copa America, so they already know how to do it together. They will be, they will be back on track. Last question, Fabrizio, before we let you go, Leticia Santos coming in. I'd like to know if Fabrizio believes Portugal goalkeeper Diogo Costa will leave Porto in the summer. As a Porto fan, I would be so sad to lose him. He almost lost a game for them today, but any truth to that one? It always depends on the proposals because he extended the contract with Porto and it means that he also has a chance to stay because if he didn't want to stay, he was not going to extend the contract. But at the same point, there is a release clause in that contract. It's a release clause for 75 million euros. There are important clubs potentially looking at the market in the summer for, for a top goalkeeper. Manchester United have sent their scouts to follow this boy many times, but also Chelsea have sent their scouts to, to follow Costa multiple times. And so I'm sure that he will have an opportunity, yes, to leave the club in the summer, but it depends on the proposal because his 75 million euros is a big price for a goalkeeper. So at the moment, it's not something advanced for sure. So at the moment, enjoy your goalkeeper. But at the end of the season, situation could be, could be different, yes. Fabrizio, uh, Friday brings the US against England. Can you give me your score prediction before you leave? Remember, there's <laughs> an American in here and two Englishmen. <laughs> I see England winning. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> round of applause for Fabrizio Romano everybody great job Fabrizio thank you so much as always for joining us just a reminder to everybody out there we have Fabrizio on with us every single week he is absolutely fantastic takes all of your questions go follow him across his social media platforms and uh, we will soon uh, see you again Fabrizio thank you so much for joining us thank you guys thank you thank you thank you see you soon and as always follow House of Champions with these fantastic people thank you Love you, brother. All right, let's move on. Uh, we did see some action today. That was the one and only Fabrizio Romano. I've got two of my great friends with me today and co-host Nigel Rio Coker and Jonathan Johnson. Let's turn our attention to Group H because Cristiano Ronaldo was in good form today. Nigel Rio Coker, you're pretty quiet today. Is it Thanksgiving? Have you eaten too much turkey? Like, what the hell's going on here? You're just too quiet. What's up with you? I haven't even had dinner, mate. So I'm just, is that I'm what just it waiting. is? Uh, he, was, yeah. he was on the sauce during last night's show. <laughs> <laughs> he's hung over all he right did, let's he, get did, he definitely wasn't up for the first game of the day why wow, he, he tuned in halfway through i was up i was up <laughs> let's discuss cristiano ronaldo's performance portugal's performance overall and i'm actually a little bit impressed with ghana as well they got a goal african teams finally have a goal in this world cup but let's discuss cristiano ronaldo getting his goal uh, becomes the first player to score in five different editions of the world cup 2006 10 14 18 and 22 um, Nigel, thoughts on the performance from CR7, his reaction, and Portugal, Portugal overall, their performance in this game against Ghana. It was a good game. It's an interesting one, Ian. I think for me, there's no taking away what Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo has brought to football and what we've seen from him and what he's achieved. Unbelievable player. We'll go down as in discussion as one of the greatest we've ever seen. But I don't know whether, for me, that it's about time to kind of move on or if it's that kind of thing where it's the man is becoming a bit too strong for them to move on from. Because I feel for me that there's so much talent in that Portuguese side, young talent still waiting to come through, but it's the burden of Cristiano Ronaldo. If it's whether it's helping him break these records, like you said, he's the first player now to score in five different World Cups, if that's part of it. But the reality of it is he hasn't been playing at Manchester United. He's not the Cristiano Ronaldo of old that we've seen. We've seen many occasions as examples in the game today where he couldn't beat a player, couldn't get past a player, couldn't get a cross in, where a younger and fitter and informed Ronaldo definitely would have done that and scored more goals than he did. I felt for me the penalty was very harsh. I think it's a penalty that he was looking for because anyone else other than Cristiano Ronaldo, that penalty would not have been given. And you can also, also tell when you're watching the game and you're listening to the fans, Every time he got the ball, it's like a roar and a cheer. And is it whether the fact of he's a Cristiano Ronaldo on form or is it just the fact of he is Cristiano Ronaldo? I feel for me, it's a time where you got Joe Felix, Rafael Leal, some young talent coming through in that Portuguese side who can be a difference maker. I feel for me, if Rafael Leal started that game with the ability he possesses, with just that rawness, I feel is what's missing. Because we had a conversation as well of how many nil-nils we've seen in this World Cup. And I yeah. feel it's because we're seeing so many players now become so robotic in the sense of how they're coached at the highest level in Europe now, where it's style, systems of play and club and clubs are now at national level, they're cancelling each other out. There isn't that much unpredictability. There isn't that much personality in individual players. You can make something out of nothing apart from watching the Brazilians today. But other than that, it's just becoming so predictable. And I feel for me that great five first player to score in five different World Cups. I thought his performance was okay. Maybe you guys might disagree with me, but I don't think it's anything to sing and dance about. And I feel they're hindering the progression of some young talent that they have in Portugal, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think if I was to liken the Ronaldo situation to something, <clears throat> it's kind of like when you get a musical artist or a former band that reunites and they go on like these nostalgia tours and it's, you know, it's not quite as good as they were in their heyday. You know, people will turn out, you know, go and see them, but it's, it's not quite the impressive spectacle that it once was. And I felt that we saw that from Cristiano Ronaldo today, trying some of the stuff that used to be his trademark, you know, the hanging in the air for the headers, that kind of stuff. And it just doesn't come off and you kind of feel a little bit awkward when you're watching because like Nigel said, you don't want to keep slamming somebody who has done so much for the game over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. But also at the same time, it's really, really difficult to find anything kind of positive to say about him. And to be honest, I think a lot of that is because of what he's turned uh, this situation into off the pitch over the last two weeks or so. I think it would be easier to to, to go a bit lighter on him on the pitch, uh, you know, if that whole circus hadn't been happening. But it has, uh, you know, and I think unfortunately it's starting to to taint, uh, you know, this this memory that we have of Ronaldo. I thought the best Ronaldo-related thing that happened all day was when uh, uh, Bukhari hit the Sioux celebration pretty much in front of Ronaldo when Ghana got their second goal. <laughs> it's it, to be honest that that was the most entertaining part of it for me it's you know it, it's a real shame because i don't want to keep detracting from somebody who has brought so much to the game but also at the same time there's, there's just always this like sort of sour aftertaste whenever there's something that happens related to ronaldo uh, you know that's going on at the moment and yet yeah, i feel it was a really soft penalty didn't expect portugal to, to hit back with those two quick fire goals after ghana got back in the game uh you know and here we are uh, you know looking down the barrel at potentially fernando santos getting portugal into the latter stages Great comment in coming in here from uh, Marcio Rodriguez. says, what about the time that he put the ball into the back of the net in the first half and the ref gave Ghana a foul? Similar to the one Ronaldo penalty wasn't harsh. The ref wasn't coherent. Do you remember that one, the little push inside the box? Could that have been uh, left to just go in the back of the net and then review it later on? Do you remember it? I do, but I think for me, you know, that 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 was a foul. But when we talk about that penalty, that penalty is a different situation, though, for me. That, that's just my honest opinion, Ian. I think that that's when you look at that, I just feel for me that it's it just seems like it's all built up for everything that's going on with Ronaldo right now. The ref did not even hesitate to think about it, just instantly at penalty. And when you look at it, you know yourself, Ian. That is a very soft penalty. If you're on the team receiving that, that's two players going for the ball. And you can see Ronaldo trying to buy into it. If that was any other player in the World Cup but Ronaldo or Messi, that penalty would not have been given. That's just my perspective on that situation. I like your brutal honesty as well, Nigel. And uh, it's an important question, an important topic to have. Uh, Ismail Alfaf was the referee. It was American officials, obviously, behind the scenes as well. So really interesting to see that decision being made. But Portugal did get the win. And that's most important to Cristiano Ronaldo and most important to Portugal, as you just witnessed their top of the table, because Uruguay and South Korea played out to a nil-nil draw. Now, eight different sides have now drawn their opening games of this World Cup. Denmark, Tunisia, Mexico, Poland, Morocco, Croatia, Uruguay and Korea. Republic, South Korea. They have all drawn. I mean, four games in this World Cup. JJ, why are we seeing so many freaking draws, man? I hate it. It annoys me. It's ruining my bets. But we seem to see a lot of nil-no draws, especially in the first half. I think there's been like 10 first half nil-nil games. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really good question. I think Nigel, uh, you know, kind of hit the nail on the head earlier where the game has become, it's almost like the, the the modern game now is about perfecting everything. So that's perfecting tactical setup, the, you know, the, the physical performance of players, uh, you know, making sure that players don't overexert themselves either. Now, I'm not going to go out there and accuse every team of saying, you know, certain players weren't giving, you know, the, the, the full of themselves all the time, but none of those teams at this stage 
really want to take their foot off of the brake because you know that if you you know throw caution to the wind and you know you don't get the result that could be it for your world cup chances your chances of getting out of the group so every team uh you know who feels that they have a, a realistic shot at making the knockout stages they don't want to concede goals they don't want to lose i mean look you know you've got france defending world cup champions playing four central defenders in a four-man backline you know that 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 is how seriously some of these teams are taking not conceding goals and if that means not scoring many going forward and you know perhaps just taking a lucky opportunity or waiting for a moment of brilliance from one of your players from distance then so be it i mean we kind of saw that today with uruguay i mean it took until what the 85th minute or later for valverde to absolutely mash that shot into the woodwork you know, it it feels to me like this will probably open up in the second and third round of games, or at least I hope that's what's going to happen because it does feel like it's almost, you know, you've you kind of pulped down, uh, you know, all of these games to, uh, you know, such a you know a, a fine combination that you're almost guaranteed to have stalemates, uh, you know, between so many of these teams. I think, like JJ said, the only thing I'll add to that for me Ian, is the fact of it's the modern game in the sense of we talk about it that I feel that. So many players nowadays are so programmed. All these clubs that they play at, whether it's in the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, they're programmed to play to a style and a system. And managers and coaches now in a modern game want them to play a certain way. What we're missing again is that individuality, that real raw talent, that creativity, that personality. That's something that modern coaches still need to coach out of players to go out there and express themselves. Because most teams nowadays... They're not full of great footballers. And when I say this, I want people to bear and listen to me. There's great athletes playing football. But when you say great footballers, you're talking about the football intelligence, the decision-making in the right areas at the right time, picking the right pass. That's what separates great footballers from athletes. Because you can be a great athlete, but when you've got a footballing brain, it's another level. And I talk about the Kevin De Boiners, the Valverdes, just the choice of passes, the Modric, Muka Modric the choice of pass they make at the right time in the right moment. That is what's missing. I think that more coaches need to encourage that creativity, that individuality. And again, just that those players going at players, taking players on, I think that's what we miss. And I spoke to JJ earlier today. I said, watching that Switzerland and uh, Ghana game, just going off, sorry, Switzerland and Cameroon game going off topic, mm-hmm. it brought back a bit of uh, World Cup nostalgia. Because they're both going at each other and they're going at it. And it just seemed like a classic World Cup game when you're watching as a youngster that this is why I want to play in the World Cup. This is what the World Cup's about. It's two teams just going at it, end-to-end, box-to-box, going at each other. And that's what it is. But now when you look at so many of these other teams now, they're so scared to lose and they don't encourage creativity and individuality. That's just my opinion why we're seeing so many nil-nil draws. One one other point that I would add, uh, you know, just to sort of tie a ribbon on this topic is there's not many elite managers at this level. Let's be brutally honest. Go through the list of the squads and the people who are overseeing them. You know, there's only, you can probably count all of the really top, top class managers on one hand, maybe two at best. Uh, you know, I think that there are some, the, these tournaments give an opportunity to some coaches who perhaps don't get the praise they deserve. Guys like Hervé Renard for pulling that result off with Saudi Arabia. But there are some other guys, and I know that I've been very critical of the likes of Gareth Southgate in the past, who I just, I don't, I don't feel that they're in the elite bracket. 
couple of great comments coming in here. I think the short time between club and international camps plays into the teams not scoring. Weird time to host a World Cup. Normally teams have a month or so to practice with their national teams. Great comment coming in there from Swarav. Hope I pronounced your name correctly. JC saying, as you just saw across your screen, let's be honest, the average standard is barely championship level. Rafa also jumping in. Teams are usually cagey in group stage. So much at stake. The instinct is to play conservatively. It is a strange World Cup. It is an unusual time to play it. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of that where teams just simply don't want to lose games in the group stage. They want to do whatever they possibly can to get out of the group stage and into the knockout so they can achieve success for their nation. Uh, one little stat I wanted to throw at you from the Uruguay game. Uh, there was only one shot on target in the game between Uruguay and South Korea. Just the second time this has happened in a World Cup match since 1966, the year that Nigel Rio Coker was born. All right, let's take a quick break. More, <laughs> more to come when we come back, including a look at the other two games that took place today. You're watching House of Champions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Well, don't stop watching the world's best soccer stream every match of UEFA Champions League live on Paramount+. Plus. It's soccer's ultimate annual competition, not for country, but also for club. Sign up today for 50% off an entire year using the code all year at ParamountPlus.com slash sports. Welcome back, everyone. You're watching House of Champions. It's Ian Joy, Nigel Rio Coker, and Jonathan Johnson. Let's discuss Group G, Brazil against Serbia. Um, it was the game that just most recently finished. It's the game that's the freshest on our minds. JJ, I'll come to you first here. Top-class performance from Richarlison, but Brazil looked pretty damn good in that second half and eventually deserved the three points. Yeah, I think they did look uh, good in the second half. I think they left a bit uh, to be desired in the first half. They were tight defensively throughout. I think that Serbia were unlucky given the way that the deadlock was broken. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, Richarlison bundling in after the other Milinkovic Savic palmed out. But you can't argue with the the second goal. That is absolute brilliance. Uh, you know, arguably goal of the tournament so far could even be goal of the tournament by the end of the by the end of the World Cup. Uh, and, you know, and I think Brazil, you know, made good on uh, the expectations that were placed on them coming into the tournament. 
bit of a worry now for for Chich, uh, whether Neymar's injury is serious or not. It looked, uh, you know, serious enough for for him to obviously go off, and now there will be, you know, Brazilians across the world holding their breath that it's not going to be, uh, you know, serious enough to rule him out from multiple matches. But uh, you know, I think that Brazil, you know, did what they needed to, uh, you know, made the, the the right start to the World Cup given the pressure that was on them. Yeah, I think it was a fantastic uh, performance by Brazil for me, and I really do. And I think that what I looked at more so than what people did is, and you know it as well, Ian, and probably JJ sees it as well at times, it's you look at the, the reactions of players, the body language and the facial expressions. And in that Brazil game, you saw at times how locked in all those players were. The modern game now is, yes, you have to be good defensively. The commitment by all Brazilian players out of possession because they respect Serbia, because they know how good Serbia are as individuals. Serbia didn't put in a bad performance, but at the end of the day, it's what we spoke about. Brazil took nine attacking players for a reason. When you've got the luxury of playing Rafinha, Neymar and um, Vinicius Jr. And you have the luxury of bringing on Gabriel Jesus off the bench and others, you are in a very privileged position and you can change it. We saw from that performance that for me, this is a nation that's going truly after it. And the body language and the, the facial expressions that I saw on those Brazilian players when the ball went out of play defensively, winning the ball back, um, it was just remarkable. You can see how tuned in they are to this World Cup. And you talk about individuality, you talk about being an outliner. That second goal for me was just absolutely phenomenal. That's what it's about. It's being that creative spirit. And just to say to JJ, personally, I feel if Neymar is missing, he's a big miss for Brazil, yes, but he's a big miss from world football and the, the press and the attention he gets. I personally feel, with what I've seen from Vinicius Jr. at Real Madrid, I feel if Neymar goes or is unable to play, Vinicius Jr. showed so much maturity, what he's done at Real Madrid, that he'll be ready to fill in that void and step in to be the next main man of Brazil. Yeah, it's a great point. Listen, I want to jump on back of what you said there. These games are very hard. What we witnessed in the first half, and as we were talking in our private group chat, was um, this was energy, it was determination, it was fight, it was desire. Brazil showed it, but Serbia are a tough team to break. They're, they're a team that obviously recognized this was going to be a big ask for them to get a result from this game. They do have talent. We recognize that. And even in this game, I thought, wow, wow, Serbia might just be better than I thought they were, and they still are my dark horse to potentially get out of this group. Um, but Brazil's class showed through in the uh, second half. When they came out in the second half, it was almost as if Serbia just couldn't live with them. They were looking at one another, trying to figure out where they could breathe because it was relentless attack after attack after attack after attack. And um, there was many players that really stood out today. Obviously, we will all talk about Richarlison and the goals that he scored. Nine goals in the last seven games for Brazil. Um, and I believe what well, that's now his 19th international goal for them. I mean, phenomenal. He's only played 39 games. I mean, it's unbelievable the goal scoring record, putting him in that striker's position where he mixes very well with Neymar who played very deep today um, but looked decent in my opinion off the pace a little bit inside the penalty area had a good couple of chances not the connections he wanted um, but trying to pick a man of the match performance from this Brazil team for me was not easy Richarlison will get it because of the goals and the flair you talked about Nigel but was there any other player JJ that stood out for you in particular that could potentially be a man of the match performer? I was surprised by Casemiro, not just for his long shots. Uh, you know, I thought you know he played that def that mid defensive midfield enforcer role very well. I was actually not worried, but um, I, you know, I was I was planning to keep an eye on uh, sort of that that 
chemistry between him and Paqueta in the middle of the field because I thought that was a little bit risky. Uh, I would have perhaps fancied Paqueta as somebody coming off the bench, especially as he hasn't played as regularly as he might hope to uh, have hoped to since joining West Ham. I actually wanted to see uh, Bruno Guimaraes uh, from the start alongside uh, Casemiro. We didn't see that, but I thought Casemiro played very, very well. So if I was going to pick somebody outside of Richarlison, mm-hmm. you know, he'd definitely be a contender for me for this one. Switzerland got the victory over Cameroon by a goal to nil thanks to Brill and Bolo. Born in Cameroon, scoring against them in a World Cup. Respect for not celebrating. Nigel, just real quickly, what did you think about him not celebrating? That's the right thing to do, right? It's the right thing to do. It's just respect. You know, I think that there's a lot of dynamic that people need to understand when you are um, African continent born and you live in different European countries. There's still that link to where you were born from Africa. There's still that kind of connection where you talk about culture, history, knowledge, knowing where you come from, food and everything like that. There's that part. And I think uh, it was tremendous respect shown by him. And it's what you'd expect, you know, but at the end of the day, um, Switzerland got the job done. Uh, but Cameroon did make it very difficult for them. You know, and again, I still find it hard that Cameroon are the lowest ranked team. Is it Cameroon, JJ, or, or Ghana that's the lowest ranked team in this World Cup? Ghana. Okay, Ghana. Okay, well, for me, Cameroon put in a good performance. I think for me, when I watched that game, and I even messaged JJ, I said, this reminds me of what the World Cup is about. It was yeah. just great for both teams going at it. You know, probably a bit more atmosphere from the fans would have been fantastic. And that would have been a classic World Cup game, but it was good to watch. Cameroon have now lost their last eight games at the World Cup, dating back to 2002. So they need to step it up if they want to get out of the group stages. Actually, I've just got I've I've just got a crazy stat to throw at you based on Switzerland. Jordan Shakiri, mm-hmm. he has contributed to 50% of Switzerland's goals in the last four international tournament outings. So that includes World Cups and Euros. That, that's crazy when you consider the career trajectory. I mean, he's playing in MLS now with Chicago Fire, had that very short spell with Lyon, you know, spends a bit of time with Bayern Munich, with Liverpool, but also, uh, you know, Stoke City as well. And, uh, you know, and came rose to prominence with Basel. He is a majorly underrated player uh, at international level, almost someone who does much better at international level than he does uh, at club level. And I also feel that he fits this Swiss national team really really well because they're a team that's kind of developed under the radar they're so so hard to break down you know that defense is almost entirely formed out of Bundesliga players and you know when you've got someone like Jan Sommer in goal who see he seems to pull out so many of these crazy performances where he can keep a team at bay pretty much single-handedly they are you know one of the teams you really don't want to fall upon at the the World Cup yeah, I hear you. And I saw that statistic as well. I think it was across 24 goals that they had in major tournaments. And he's been a part of 50% of them. Simply sensational. Considering he does play in Major League Soccer for Chicago Fire, that probably won't score 24 goals over the next three seasons. Let's move on to our power rankings. We have now gone through match day one. Uh, Nigel Rio Coker and Jonathan Johnson, I want to see where your head's at now because... Um, I actually want to see where the group is, the House of Champions family, because um, the power rankings have changed and shifted around a little bit. JJ, explain yourself here. Has anyone moved? Who's moved up? Who's moved down? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, England, just based solely on the the first round of games, would probably you know be up there sort of to the top of my power rankings at the moment. I will be honest, I don't think there's much between some of those top teams at the moment. There's not much between England, Brazil, France, Spain. I mean, we spoke about Spain at length uh, yesterday after they crushed Costa Rica. 
I don't think you can read too much into that, but also you can't ignore it as well, given that we were questioning so many times where those goals would come from for Spain. Uh, you know, but I, I think the picture will become clearer after the second round of games. But uh, certainly for me, I think the big movers uh, sort of in terms of my expectations are, uh, you know, Argentina so far and uh, England a bit better than I maybe thought they would be. I, I think for me, Ian, it's just Japan. I think Japan, for me, that performance of Germany great was show. really great a show. statement's performance. I think they're great. I think they're well-drilled. As I don't know how true it is, but obviously the manager said he watches Juventus and he learned a lot from Juventus, which means I should be very well accustomed to the European way. But that performance is great. I've always said to you, Ian, if you're going to be a defensive team, you want to defend deep, you need to have pace in the attack that has that cutting-edge clinicalness about them. Japan have that. I think Japan could really be a, a dark horse in it. So Japan are the one that came in for me. That's a bit of a surprise. All right. So there you have it. Our power rankings have changed. The boys can explain themselves um, at another time when they're back on the show. Let's turn our attention to the games coming up here. Um, obviously, match day twos are about to kick off and uh, really excited um, to see, obviously, England against the United States. We've got Wales against Iran, which is going to be another big one in that group. Qatar against Senegal and Netherlands against Ecuador in Group A. JJ, any game in particular that really stands out to you? Don't just choose England. Come on. No, no, no. I'm uh, to be honest. I'll be. I'll probably be watching England with mates and not watching it with my professional hat on. Uh, I'm going to be keeping an eye on Netherlands, Ecuador. Ecuador, I think, uh, you know, looked very good suddenly for challenging for second place in that group. I expected the Dutch to win that group and go far, uh, despite the fact that they left their goals late. I still think that they they look fairly decent for that. So I'm going to be keeping a close eye uh, on that one uh, in particular. But uh, yeah, in terms of live blog action, I will unfortunately have to be watching Wales against Iran early tomorrow morning <laughs> Nigel it's going to be England USA whether you're bored of it or not I think that's a game I can't wait and you know why because I'm coming for you and I'm coming for Michael that's the game I'm going to watch can USA score against England they have the ability to they have the play definitely they, they can be a threat against England because England's defense is probably their weakest and most vulnerable point because you've got players that are playing that haven't been playing regularly at their club so if if you want to pick on certain individuals that's part of the game. You've been in dressing rooms, Ian. I'm sure JJ has heard some stuff from players. You have weak links. You're only as strong as you can be together. But in football, there are times when managers and coaches will pick on certain players who they believe are vulnerable and the weak link of teams. And I'm not putting it out there for, for USA to say anything, but we know Harry Maguire hasn't played regular at Manchester United. That could be seen as a weak link by some people. If Carl Walker comes into the team, he hasn't had match practice for a lot. That could be seen as a weak link. So it depends on how good and uh, proactive coaches and managers are to see those things and use it to their advantage. Matt Osman says England to United States of America to hey, JJ, just quickly before we get out of here, I've got Iran to beat Wales. Am I going crazy? And that's probably why I'm bottom of the prediction list. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, t I'm tempted to say that you're not crazy, but based on that performance against England, I think it's really difficult to feel positively about Iran. I mean, it's strange to, to see a team get thumped 6-2, but have, uh, you know, that team's best goal scorer score twice. I mean, I do think in terms of the personnel, Iran are better than they showed against England and perhaps without everything going on back home in Iran, which is very clearly a distraction for the players. You know, maybe they could apply themselves uh, a bit differently and, you know, maybe, you know, make a fist of getting out of the group. In terms of this game, 
I think that Wales, in terms of the chemistry that they've built up, they're probably going to have just enough to get the result here, scrape out of the group, and then you know it'll be on to the next generation for the for the Welsh. It's a real shame for Iran in terms of uh, in terms of timing because there are some fantastic players in that group. Lovely little comment coming in from Rafa. He says, USA 3, England 1. Only joking, Rafa. Only joking. England 3, USA 1 was his prediction as well. Uh, Nigel, before we get out of here, I just want to talk to you about this video that I saw on socials. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, Let me know your thoughts on this Mexican fan who was trying to get inside the stadium with alcohol inside his binoculars. Thoughts, please. Ian, where there's a way, there's a will. That's all it is. Where there's a way, there's a will. He tried to make it seem like it was binoculars and the guy's like, no, 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 I can see there's a screw here. Like, I can't see nothing there but tequila. So it's not happening. But where there's a way, there's a will. You've got to, you got to give him credit for, for, for just the, the belief <laughs> and the audacity. Do you know that was JJ trying to get your wine over to Brooklyn when he came over? To- <laughs> uh, you know, hilariously, uh, the only thing that uh, was up earlier than me this morning for the first match of the day was the delivery man dropping me off some more cognac for Nigel. <laughs> hey, JJ, before I let you go, I know you've talked about this before, but the Netherlands, there was a pretty cool video with uh, Louis van Gaal and uh, just a heartwarming hug with a journalist who was making his debut in the press room. Um, and then you saw this hug afterwards. This is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's really heartwarming as well. I mean, Van Hal, I think is, you know, he's he's this figure that nobody can really dislike because of everything that he's achieved, but also because, you know, he's just so funny and engaging when he talks, you know, he takes the time to actually explain himself, to have a conversation with people. And I think this is just another example of how he can, you know, strike up some sort of rapport. And, you know, it's almost kind of like a, a celebration of Van Hal uh, this World Cup. We know it's going to be his last major tournament, obviously facing, uh, you know, a difficult battle uh, on the on the health front. But I think, you know, even just the last couple of days, the perfect insight into what makes Van Hal, uh, you know, just so so interesting you know the his cheeky comments as well to his wife in front of the tv cameras about <laughs> yeah, taking her back that. to the hotel for uh for a bit of cuddle time that was uh you know another one of my favorite moments from uh from from the old uh the old crooner so far louis van Gaal just seems like he's on a mission in this world cup to not give a shit about uh, he's, on a, he's on, on a mission to win it as he's as he's said yeah. Yeah, looking forward to it. Listen, boys, great stuff as always. I appreciate you. Happy Thanksgiving to both of you. Uh, JJ as well. Enjoy some of that wine. I know it was expensive wine or cognac that Nigel sent your way. So make sure you get a few sips in before you put it in the mail. Thanks to everybody else out there for listening to House of Champions. Please make sure you take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. We're also available as video. So subscribe to us on YouTube. We're back at it again tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, Boys, I appreciate you and I appreciate everybody out there who's commented and uh, joined in the conversation especially with Fabrizio I want to wish the boys obviously but everyone else out there who's watching a very happy Thanksgiving we'll see you again tomorrow take care okay picture this It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 